Luke. We're going to be studying several different scriptures. We're in the Gospel of Luke. We're looking at Jesus' life through the eyes of Luke, and we're talking about the gospel to the nobodies. Week number two. invited you on a Lenten journey with us, and we started this uh, last week, and we're going to be journeying all the way through Easter in an eight-part series called The Gospel of Nobodies. And if you have your message outline, let me just get you to go ahead and turn to the back portion of that message outline for a minute. Every week, you'll see a big black box on the very back of the outline with some scriptures located right underneath it. And I'm calling these scriptures little bite-sized, five-minute readings that if you will join us on this journey, by the, by the time we've started last week and we're reading some of the gospel narrative around the Christmas story, and by the time we end with the cross and the tomb, you will have read through the entire gospel of Luke. Now, somebody came up to me this morning and said, well, I hope you're going to cover some of that stuff we read you know, earlier this week. And I'm going to mention a couple of things we've been reading, but every week... Join me, if you will, Monday. To, and if you miss a day, by the way, I missed a day. I just went back and grabbed it. And I missed Tuesday. Had to go back and grab it Tuesday and Wednesday. So don't miss out on these scripture readings. Today we'll kind of pick up in, in Luke chapter 4 and Luke chapter 5, where we literally not read too much yet. So if you haven't started on that journey, come and join us. Now, part of this journey is to, to, to read the entire gospel of Luke together, but it's also to look through the lens of, of how Luke presented Jesus. And if you missed last week, Last week was kind of foundational. I talked about who Luke is and why he wrote what he wrote. I talked a lot about who he was writing to. And if you missed it, don't forget, at any message you ever miss, it's on our website, or you can also find it on iTunes. So uh, we are, we're, we're looking through the lens, through the gospel of Luke, at the life of Jesus, and we're asking ourselves, what is the heart of God? Does God have a heart for nobodies? And Luke is going to show us over and over and over again that God does have a heart for the marginalized, the invisible, those who've been hurt, betrayed, wounded. It's those people that God seeks after. So, for example, last week, if you missed last week, let me tell you what we talked about. We talked about in the middle of March or the start of March, we were in the Christmas story, Luke chapter 2. And as we started the, the, the story, from the very beginning of the story of Jesus, God is already showing his heart for nobodies. We looked at this little teenage girl named Mary, right? A nobody, a nobody from a dirt town called Nazareth at that time, a small little, you know, stop on the road. And it was Mary, and it was Joseph, and it was the night shift shepherds that God invited to be the first people to come to witness the birth of God on the planet. If you've been reading with me, you saw a little bit more of that in the next few days. I mean, it was an old man named Simeon waiting in the temple, you know, waiting for the Messiah to show up, but hardly anybody would have ever even discussed the guy. 
But one day when Mary and Joseph show up to dedicate Jesus, Simeon sees Jesus and he holds him up and he declares that he has seen the Messiah with his eyes. Now that's interesting. We're going to ask ourselves, how in the world did Simeon recognize the Messiah? But it's not just Simeon. Right after that, you read the story of Anna, right? An old lady who'd been a widow for a long time, who the Bible says her story, long after she met that baby and saw what happened with Simeon, was to keep telling the story that a baby has been born and that the Messiah has come into the world. These were old folks. These were people who, who were really nobodies until Jesus showed up. And now we know their names. He made them somebody, so to speak. And so here's the big deal. We're asking ourselves in every story we read as we journey through Luke, what is the heart of God? Why is God so preoccupied? Why is he so interested in the nobodies and how he goes after them? So we're going to pick up today in Luke chapter 4, and Jesus is going to go back to his hometown. So I want to invite you to read with me from Luke chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 16. Now, by the way, you've been often doing ministry. You go back to your hometown. You ought to get a pretty good reception, right? Watch the reception of Jesus as he goes back to his hometown. It says this, Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll, uh, he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today... This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. Now, in this message uh, series, I'm not giving you fill in the blanks and I'm not in inviting you to, to, uh, to necessarily uh, you know, write in, in, in the blank spots, what I am asking you to do, though, is sometimes underline some things, sometimes circle some things, and in that little right-hand margin, write some notes, because my hope is that every week you're going to learn something new, maybe you think some new thoughts, and maybe most importantly, you'd write down some things that maybe God's whispering to you. So I hope you got your pen, because the first thing I want you to note right out to the side, you might even circle the, the opening word there, Nazareth. Let me just remind you of what we talked about last week. Nazareth was not a big city like it is today. The birth of Jesus and his, him being raised in Nazareth made it a big city today, but back then, it was a little small town. Here's the, here's the point of Nazareth. It was a small town filled with nobodies, all right? Nazareth was a town of nobodies. Jesus, kind of a nobody, goes back to his hometown filled with nobodies, and he goes to the synagogue to teach. Now, the prophet Isaiah is handed to him, and listen, listen to what he reads from. I have the entire... Uh, book of Isaiah, he chooses to say these words. He said, look at what he says. Good news for the poor. Freedom, you might want to underline these. Good news for the poor. Freedom for prisoners. Sight for the blind. He's talking about, I have come for the nobodies, the poor, the prisoners, the blind. Look at the last one there. To set the oppressed 
free, and I even like it, I underlined it here for me, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You know, for most people who consider themselves nobodies, like nobody knows my name, nobody really cares about me, they normally don't feel like they're very favorable. They don't normally feel like they have a lot of favor. Jesus came saying, can I show you the heart of God? This is why I came. I came for those who who are imprisoned and those who are poor and those who are blind, and I came to set them free because this is the year of the Lord's favor. Do you hear God's heart in that, guys? Do you hear God's heart for the nobodies? This is Jesus' first message in his hometown, and his message is, I am all about the nobodies. I care about them, and I want them to know they are somebody in my eyes. Now, Now, you notice what what the people respond when they hear Jesus. And evidently, when he teaches, they're blown away by his teaching. They ask themselves, isn't this Joseph's son? By the way, that's, um, that's like code language for, isn't this the son of a nobody? I mean, this guy's like a somebody. He sounds like a somebody, but he's the son of a nobody, which makes him pretty much a nobody. That's why they ask the question, isn't this Joseph's son? This guy is a nobody. That's what they're really asking. Now, by the way, it's very easy to finish the story there and make it all neat. I love how it ended. It said, they were amazed at Jesus' words. But if you keep reading in chapter 4, Jesus doesn't have very nice things to say to them. They don't take it very easy, right? It doesn't come across very, it offends them. The words of Jesus, very soon, they kind of sounded sweet at first. And then they become offensive. And notice before it's all over, in Luke chapter 4, it says this. This is in the synagogue, guys. They got up, drove him out of the town. They took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. You see, you got to read the rest of the story, don't you? I mean, when all of a sudden Jesus said things that offended them, now they're ready to kill him. And kind of here's the deal. Now, you might have even considered yourself on this. I, I might have. They're listening to this guy, and he starts saying things that aren't necessarily pleasant to their ears. And you know what comes across their mind? Wait a minute. You're a nobody. You think you're a somebody? I mean, you are a nobody. Who do you think you are? It's that thought right there that makes them grab him and take him out, ready to kill him on the, on the highest little hill that is there in their city. Who do you think you are? You think you're a somebody? That's what's going on in their minds. Now, here's a question I want to pose to you, and you just might want to write it in a little margin because I think it has a lot of different answers to it. It's not just one answer. Why did Jesus' hometown not recognize him as the Messiah? Why did Jesus' hometown not recognize him as the Messiah? By the way, Mary recognized him as the Messiah, Joseph recognized him as the Messiah. The shepherds showed up, bowed on their knees. The first people in worship there, the first one to see the baby, they recognized him as Messiah. Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple, and an old man recognizes him as the Messiah. Then Anna, the old widow, she recognizes him as Messiah. But now Jesus goes back a few years later to his hometown. Why can't they recognize Jesus as the Messiah? There's probably a lot of answers to that, but let me just tell you at least one. The Messiah? A nobody? A Messiah, a nobody from a nobody town? You mean this would be the Messiah of the world? Joseph's son? 
One of the things that I've learned about faith is that a lot of our faith world and the way we understand the, the world we live in has a lot to do with how we see the world around us. How you perceive the world around you really has a lot to do with your heart attitude and your mind, your op- the openness of your mind. These folks here, Jesus got up to, to teach in, this, in his own synagogue. You know what they couldn't see? They couldn't see him as the Messiah because all they saw was a nobody. All they saw was, this is Joseph's boy. This boy can't be very special. This is Joseph's. Their, their eyesight shut off their heart. Does that make any sense to you? Sometimes you're, you're, the way you see things can really have a huge impact on your heart attitude and on your mind attitude. And so their perspectives, so to speak, shut down their ability to recognize the Messiah. Let me show you a, a little example of this, a, a perspective that some folks have sometimes that can shut them down to what God might be wanting to do in their hearts. Have you seen this statue? I'm going to throw a statue up here real quickly. Have you seen this statue? You get, you, did you hear about it in the news at all? There's a Canadian sculptor who has sculpted a, a, a Jesus that looks like a homeless person covered in a blanket on a park bench. And he began by placing one in his hometown in Canada, and then he began to place them all over the world. There are about eight of these scattered around the United States. There's one in Chicago, one in Detroit. There's one right outside of Charlotte. There's one in Austin, Texas. And he's put them in different places as well, like Dublin, Ireland. And they're the same, they're the same sculpture. And maybe you've heard about this in the news because it always makes headlines whenever he brings this sculpture to a new town. Now, you would not know that's Jesus there except if you saw his feet. We'll look at it from a different angle. When you see the feet of the person laying there that's homeless, you can see that there are gaping wounds in the top of the feet. Now, what's interesting is the, 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 the place where this sculpture has been the least accepted is in Davidson, North Carolina, just right outside of Charlotte. He put a, he put a sculpture in right downtown Davidson, North Carolina. And some folks welcomed it. But there were a lot of folks in that town who did not. As a matter of fact, I wrote in my notes some of the things that people wrote in to, to the newspaper and, and spoke about. Some said they were insulted by this sculpture. This insults them. Some said that this demeaned their neighborhood. This demeaned the neighborhood. Others said, uh, one guy wrote, this creeped him out. When he saw this sculpture, it creeped him out. As a matter of fact, the very first thing that happened when the sculpture was built, the following day, a man mistake, was mistaken and thought it was a real homeless person, and he called the police on the, on the statue. That really happened, okay? He called the police. Some folks, because of their perspective, because of what they see in this piece of art, some folks are repulsed by it. They believe it's not dignified. And then there are other folks in that same town of Davidson, North Carolina, who sometimes come and just sit on the park bench. There are some folks that touch this sculpture, and they pray sitting on the park bench. Do you see? Do you see how your eyes and your perspective can really have a huge impact on your heart and on your mind? So what about Nazareth? You see, in the same way that this sculpture in Davidson is not very well received, 
Jesus came to his hometown, a nobody. Jesus came to his hometown, and before it was over, they grabbed him and took him out to the highest hill, and they were ready to kill him. Because their perspective was, this is just, this nobody. This is Joseph's boy. Who does he think he is? Well, today, the message that I want to talk to you about, particularly about God bringing good news, the gospel to nobodies, is about a couple of stories that happened in Luke chapter 5. And that's about where we're at in our reading right now. There's one story of Jesus who meets a man with a disease. And so we're going to talk about how God cares for the sick. And I'm going to share so much around that story, I don't have time to read the other story. I'm going to let you read it on your own. But right after that story in Luke chapter 5, Jesus meets a paralytic, somebody who's disabled. I want you to look for how God's heart is for the sick and the disabled. So together, let's pick up in Luke chapter 5. And let's read what happens shortly after Jesus leaves his hometown. They throw him out, right? Let's look at what happens about Jesus and, and listen for the heart of God. What is the heart of God? The Bible says in Luke chapter 5, while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. You got your pen, you might want to circle that last word there, the word leprosy. He was covered. He was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus... He fell with his face to the ground, and he begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand, and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately, the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. A testimony there means a witness. Let others witness that this miracle has been done in your life. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Now, when we talk about nobodies, let me tell you, in Jesus' world, there, there is nobody in that entire culture who is more than a nobody than a person who has leprosy, all right? If ever there was a nobody, a person with leprosy in Jesus' world is a nobody. And here's, here's why. In, in their world, they didn't have all the science that we did. They didn't know what caused all disease. And sometimes when somebody got an infectious disease like leprosy that could spread by touching others, it could take over entire towns. It could destroy whole cities. And so when somebody had leprosy, there was a Levitical law. As a matter of fact, let's read it. Leviticus chapter 13. Uh, it's, the whole chapter is about infectious diseases. And in Luke chapter, I'm sorry, Leviticus chapter 13, listen to what happens if you have a rash come up and how you're supposed to go through the protocol of a priest determining whether it's an infectious disease. Luke chapter I'm sorry, Leviticus chapter 13 says this. The priest is to examine the sore on his, his or her skin and to put the infected person in isolation for seven days. If the rash has spread in the skin, the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is an infectious disease. Now get this picture. This is just, imagine you having a rash. Imagine you having a sore spot come up on your skin. The first thing you had to do by law was go to a priest 
And if the priest saw the rash, just like you, you, you came, the, the first thing the priest would do was put you in isolation for seven days, all by yourself, seven days. And if you came back and it had spread, you would be isolated. Now watch the rest of it. The person with such an infectious disease must wear torn clothes, let his hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of his face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as he has the infection, he remains unclean. He must live alone. He must live outside of the camp. This is, this is Leviticus, guys. This is a long, long time before a man comes to Jesus with, his, with leprosy. And so you must understand what's going on for a person with leprosy. They are a nobody of nobodies. They can't even comb their hair. They have torn clothes. They live in colonies outside the city altogether. They don't have their family anymore. They don't have the old friendships. All they have now, as far as relationship goes, is other lepers. This is the person who comes to Jesus. Now, notice this, by the way. Who is the one who pronounces a leper clean or unclean? Who is that? A priest. So a priest is your doorway. Your doorway to either isolation either being put out of the city, living a life with other lepers, or a priest can be your doorway to being allowed back into the city. Do you see that? And, and lo and behold, a priest walks in the town, and his name is Jesus. And a leper comes up to him. Man, this is powerful stuff. In this story, you should be able to see the heart of God. Now, I, I've got four things I want to share with you. Maybe you'd write in your notes one, two, three, and four, okay? Four things. The first thing I want to point out is we're going to read that scripture again, but I've bolded a couple of words for you. I just want you to look at the faith of the leper, all right? I think this is amazing. As a matter of fact, when Jesus comes up, uh, I'm going to put it like this and I'll bold a couple of words. When Jesus comes up, the leper says this, Lord, you can make me clean. Now, I'm going to skip that middle part for a minute, but do you see that statement of faith? Lord, he calls him Lord, which means master, all right, which means teacher. He calls him Lord, and he says, you can make me clean. You know, I imagine for a leper, there was probably some deep moments of hopelessness. I'm going to be the way, this way for the rest of my life. Will I ever be able to go back to my family? Will they ever allow me back in the city again? But somehow or the other, this leper has faith. Now, I think that's powerful because a leper, remember, is a nobody. But to me, one of the amazing things is when I look at this, this leper, he has such strong faith. To me, it seems like, man, this, this is a somebody that, every, that everybody else looks at and says, this is a nobody. But this guy's faith, it looks like a somebody to me. He's, he has the faith that Jesus can make him clean. He has the faith that Jesus can say what the doctors have said is impossible. He can actually make it happen. This is awesome stuff, guys. For somebody who is sick, for somebody who has been put out of, the, out of society, he has faith to say, if you can, you can heal me. I believe, Jesus, you can heal me. Guys, that's powerful stuff there. That's faith. And it's coming right there at his moment of great need because the Messiah, the rabbi, the, the priest is right here, right now. This is his moment, right? Here's the second thing I want to notice, not just his faith, which to me makes him a somebody, even though everybody else says he's nobody. Here's the second thing I notice. I notice his question. Instead of those bolded words, let's switch to bolded words now. Instead of, Lord, you can make me, notice the phrase in the middle. In the middle. He says, if you are willing. You might want to underline that. See, that's his question. 
His question, simply put, is, I believe you can heal me. But are you willing to heal me? Can I just tell you, I've been a pastor for a really long time, and I've met a lot of people with a lot of different sicknesses. And I know, let me tell you something that's very common. When you're sick, you can hear stories about how God brings healing to a lot of other people, but you will, you will, it's so easy to wonder, would he do it for me? He can heal them and he can do that for them. And I've heard these stories over and over and over and over again about how God can heal. But would he do it for me? Is he willing to do it for me? Now, do you see the bigness of this question? (laughs) This guy's on the big stuff. The Bible says he's covered with leprosy and he's sitting there at the Messiah at this moment and he looks at him and and you know what he's really asking? What's the heart of God? Are you really willing? I believe you can, but are you really willing to heal me? Would you make me clean? I just got through talking about the perspective, right? Whatever you see can either open your heart and your mind, or it can shut you down. Can I just say for a minute that this guy's perspective is awesome? He's got faith. He's got faith, big faith to say, Jesus, I believe you can heal me. I know you can. He has big faith. Somehow or the other, he sees beyond everybody else. That, and then he asks the question, but would you do it for me? I'm a nobody. I'm a nobody of leprosy. I, don't even, I can't even live in the city. Would you do it for me? Third thing. So we look at his faith, and to me that makes him a somebody. But then we see his question, and, and in that question we start to ask ourselves, okay, this is our moment. What is the heart of God? Does God really care about nobodies? Is he really willing and able Is he willing to heal a nobody? Look at this third thing. And I just write down in my notes, the disease and the physical ailment. That's that's the third thing I noticed right here. Can, can Can you heal me? You will heal me. You, you, You can heal me. Will you do it? I think when you're sick, see if see if this resonates with anybody here. I think sometimes when you're sick, it can even make you feel more like a nobody. Let me give you an example. I've lived a charmed life. I haven't had a lot of sickness in my life, but back in something like 2007, 2008, I was in a snow skiing accident. I fell, skiing way too fast. I fell and I hit a block of ice and I broke everything in this shoulder. The doctors at Emory went back and put my shoulder back together put my arm across my chest and said, for eight weeks, you can't move your arm. You remember this? Many of you remember. I was up here preaching for eight weeks with a sling and couldn't move my arm, all right? Towards the end of that eight weeks, I experienced something that I had never experienced before. Now, some of you really know what I'm talking about because you've, you experience this on a regular basis. To me, it was the closest thing I ever experienced to depression, 
I've never, I, I, I will confess to you, I don't think I've really been depressed a day in my life, but towards the end of my injury, when I couldn't start therapy, and I kept thinking to myself, am I ever going to be back to myself? Am I ever going to roll on the floor and play with my kids? Am I ever going to do a push-up again? Am I ever going to do anything with this thing again? Hopelessness started filling. This is crazy to me. By the way, I'm a pastor. I've never understood how somebody could feel hopeless and have Jesus at the same time. And I have Jesus in my life, but somehow even with Jesus in my life, hopelessness started to take me over. I remember a couple of nights before I started physical therapy and and, and just crying, literally weeping to my wife, telling her, I don't think I'm going to ever be the same again. She's never even seen me that way before. She saw a different me than she'd ever seen before. And you know what? I think God let me go through that moment to let me experience what many of you have actually experienced because you suffer from depression. You know the real thing. You know what it's like. And you've lived with it. You've lived in a place where you knew you had Jesus. But still there was this sense of hopelessness because of thing, one thing or the other. It could have been you know, a bankruptcy, a divorce, a, a death. It could have been you know, just your own struggle in, internally. Am I making any sense? See, when, when I started feeling like I was losing hope because I'd been like this, for, I'd been hurt for so long. When I started to feel like I was losing hope, I was not too far from where the leper is. God, I believe you can heal me, but will you? Will you? And, and in that moment, here's, here's the point. I think physical ailment, physical illness can sometimes make you feel like, does God care about me? Does God know I'm here? Does he know that I'm hurting? Where are you, God? What is your heart for me? And it's in that moment that we can learn from this leper. Why is that? Why does physical ailment, why does physical illness sometimes take us to that place of the loss of hope? I don't know. But here's what I want to tell you. God looks at nobody's whether you are a somebody or whether you feel like a nobody. God looks at nobodies. Remember what we said last week? And he says, listen, I see you. I came for you. I know you. I love you. You are somebody to me. At the end of this service today, it seemed only fitting to me as I'm preaching about Jesus caring for those who are sick, for a leper, that we ought to invite anybody here who is struggling with an illness to come forward and be prayed for. If you have a diagnosis, if you have a sickness in your life, I've asked the elders of the church at the end of this service today to come forward and just stand right up here with, with the bottles of oil to be able to anoint you and lay hands on you and pray a prayer of faith over you. The Bible says in James 5, let those who are sick, let those who are physically hurting Call the elders of the church to come and pray for them. And if that's where you're at today, here's what I want to tell you. I believe by the very simple physical movement from where you're at to the place of coming to one of these elders of the church, you will be making a statement not much different than what the leper made to Jesus. I believe Jesus can heal me. I'm claiming that healing for myself today. I believe, Jesus, you will heal me. At the very end of the service, and by the way, some of you might want to come and stand in for other people who need healing. That's okay to do that too. Anoint me because of this family member or this coworker, and pray for healing. This is what we need prayer for. So if that's you, listen, at the end of this message today, 
don't hesitate. Come forward. Seek one of these, uh, these four different groups of elders who are going to be praying, and they're going to ask you a very simple question. What can I pray for you for? Tell them how to pray for you. Let them pray a prayer of faith over you, a prayer of healing over you and your situation. So, so notice these four things one more time. The first thing is this. The leper had incredible faith. To me, that makes him a somebody, though everybody in the world says he's a nobody, right? The second thing is that his question is amazing because it drives straight to the heart of who God is. I believe, I know you can heal me. The question is, are you willing? Are you willing to heal me? And then this third one is, sometimes physical ailments have a way of making us even more feel like we're nobody and we're wondering, what does God care for me? But now, here's, here's the next one. But, but allow me to share with you a couple of things up on the screen before I share with this last one. I'm going to show you a couple of pictures. The first picture is a map. Now, we used to not really know for a long time what leprosy was, but now that we're so science-driven, we actually don't call leprosy leprosy anymore. We call it Hansen's disease, okay? We're going to put a map up on the screen. This is a map of leprosy, Hansen's disease, as it is known today. This is actually a map that I pulled off of Google from 2015. Now, I know it's hard to read, but here's what I want to show you. On the very, see this color-coded thing on the bottom? At the very top, that which is light gray is less than 100 cases reported during the entire year of 2015. And as it goes down, it's more and more. The, the, the blue, the light blue, is more than 100 cases of Hansen's disease being reported. Leprosy, okay? And then down a little bit more, dark gray, that's us, that's the United States. Almost 1,000 cases of leprosy, Hansen's disease being reported. All the way down to see the black areas, see the white area. So, so what is Hansen's disease? What is leprosy? What was this guy struggling with that day? Here's what we know Hansen's disease to be. Leprosy was a bacterial disease. It is fully curable today. It's bacterial. And it was transmitted by touch and bodily fluid. And, and so today, antibiotics can clear a person of Hansen's disease, can clear them of leprosy. But at that time, they didn't have the antibiotics that we have today. And so what actually happened was when Hansen's disease was communicated touch to touch or sometimes by bodily fluid, they, it would infect an entire family, like I said before, an entire city. And what happens actually is it begins to establish boils on the body, and then those boils begin to attack the nerves, so much so that if, if, if it continues to spread throughout the body, you can lose fingers, you can lose limbs. I, 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 it was, it's so graphic, and I don't invite you to look at it on Google, it's so graphic I couldn't put it on the screens, okay? Leprosy, Hansen's disease. But to show you one simple image of a little girl who had leprosy, who had Hansen's disease on the left, and then after taking the medications, there she is on the right. You see that? Now, what I, want to, what I want to show you, the reason I'm showing you this little girl, and I wish it weren't quite so big like that, but what I want you to see is to most people in our world, if they looked at the little girl on the left, look at the little girl on the left, you know what you see? You see a nobody. Our eyes, our perspective, the way we see things like those people in Nazareth who could not see the Messiah, our eyes sometimes either open up or close off our hearts and our minds. And do you see how easy it is in our society to look at that little girl on the left and say, that's a nobody because of our eyes? 
But then you look at her having taken that medication on the right, and you see this little girl that looks like a somebody, doesn't she? Doesn't she look beautiful? Doesn't she look cute? You see the difference there, guys? The reason I show you those pictures is because the day that Jesus is walking up to the city, he's not even in the city yet, and a, and a guy comes up to him with Hansen's disease. He comes up to him with leprosy, and the Bible says he was covered with it. Imagine, just imagine in your mind what he looked like. Write this down for number four. This short story is a picture. It's a mini gospel. Just write down the words, mini gospel. Scholars and theologians have looked at this story and said, in this story is a picture of the fullness of the gospel, of how God relates to us. You want God's heart? Look at this story. Let's go back to the scripture and read what actually, let's, let me show you four things that happen in this story that are the essence of the gospel. Okay, four things inside this fourth point, this mini gospel. Here's the scripture. The scripture says this. It says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now, notice these four things. Jesus reached, <laughs> one more time, please. Jesus reached out. There's the first thing. I'm so thankful that God reached out to us. When we couldn't go to him, he came to us, right? He reached out his hand. He touched the man. Now, notice he touches him while he is still diseased. He hasn't healed him yet. We, we, we call this in theological terms incarnation, God in the flesh. Jesus comes into our broken, fallen world, into our own sin-infested space. He comes and he reaches into our world, and in this world he begins to touch us even when we are still unclean. Get this mini-gospel? Get this picture? He reached out his hand, he touched the man, and he said, I am willing. By the way, if you, I hope you realize the counterculturalness of this. I hope you realize the upside-downness of this. It would have been so much easier for Jesus to say, be healed, or I am willing. And then he gets all clean, and Jesus, you know, reach out and hug him. Yeah, you know, welcome back to life. You can come in the city. But notice, notice what he does. He does it exactly the opposite. If you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reaches out, and he touches him while he is unclean while he is filled with the bacterial disease that we now call Hansen's disease. He touches him, and he says, I am willing. And then number four, so he reached out, touches him. He says, I am willing, and here's the fourth one. Be clean. Be clean. Now, I want to help you understand what that's really all about. The word Jesus uses on that word clean is a Greek word. You might want to write it in your margin. It's a Greek word, and that word is katarizo. Katarizo. The word is used several times in the Scriptures. It can mean clean. It is the same word oftentimes used for forgiven. It is also used for the word whole. Jesus reaches out and he says, I am willing, be katarizo. Now, in this time period, anytime somebody had a disease, most people thought it was related to sin. Jesus knew better than that. He even shows us that in several other stories. 
But what, what I don't want you to miss here is in this moment, if you really read it the way that you could read it with the Greek word, Jesus is saying, be clean, be whole, be forgiven. He's restoring him. <laughs> he is restoring him. He is reconciling him back to life. This guy is going to get his family back. This guy's going to be back with his friends. He's going to be able to come back to the town. He is making this guy whole. He is forgiving him. This is, this is powerful, guys. Because this is, if this is a mini gospel, I mean, think about what he's done. He's reached out. He's touched him in his, in his disease. He has said, I am willing and he has now said, even beyond your disease, all of you, be made whole, be forgiven, be restored. So earlier, I said that sometimes physical illness and sometimes physical ailments can make you lose hope and can make you feel like a nobody. And I read this room. I read this room, and I know many of you said, yes, I agree with that. Can I submit to you something else around this mini gospel point, around this word? Can we put that, katarizo? Can I just suggest something else to you? Sin, darkness in our lives, our wanderings from God, and by the way, that's all of us, every one of us have wandered away from Him and done what's not right and not what's holy. Sin has a way of making you feel like a nobody too. Sin has a way of just making you feel like you're so far away from God. It has a way of just putting you in your away, way off place. And so today, while some folks are going to be coming to be prayed for for healing, I just want to open up the altar and I want to invite others of us who need kararitzo, who need wholeness and forgiveness. We need to be made clean to just come and bow a knee before God. And where some people are coming to the elders of the church and saying, would you anoint me with oil and lay hands on me and pray a prayer of faith for this in my life? Others of us, guys, it ought to be a lot of us here who are just coming to the altar and saying, well, I need to be made clean. I need to be made whole. I'm not righteous. You know, the Bible says there's not one of us that's righteous. Not one of us. So here's the good news. Ready? Here's the good news for nobodies. Today you can be healed. Today you can have a prayer of faith over you. And you can claim your healing. Today you can also be made whole. Be made righteous. Be forgiven. And when you drive off this campus, out of this parking lot, you can drive off clean. <laughs> I mean really clean, forgiven, washed away. I like what Corey Ten Boom says. God will take your sin and he'll, he'll throw it into the depths of the ocean and then he'll put a big sign there that says, no fishing. You can't go back and get it, okay? You just leave it there. It's gone. It's gone. So listen to the words in the heart of God. I see you. 
I know you. I came for you. I love you. You're a somebody to me. I'm going to offer a simple prayer. Matter of fact, can I go ahead and get our elders to come forward? Would you guys, those of you who are going to serve this morning, come forward to your stations? Would you pray with me? Father, in the next few moments, as folks come forward to be prayed over, to be anointed with oil and laid on their hands, I just pray that, God, you would would touch them. And even as these lay elders lay hands on them, that they would experience the power of your touch in their life. That even as they pray the prayer of faith, God, you would bring healing over whatever their need is, their physical need or the person they might be interceding for. We pray that you would touch and send wholeness and healing. And Lord, others of us will come to this altar. And there are so many times we've been at this altar. We're going to come to it again. And we're going to ask you for kararizo over us, for, for you to stay over us, be clean, be whole, be forgiven. And Lord, we're going to lay down our, our baggage. We're going to lay down the things we've done, the thoughts that we've thought, the words that we've said. We're going to lay down those things that are the things that hold us back from you. And we're going to ask you to wash us clean and forgive us. Meet us in the bowing of our knees and the bowing of our hearts and open our eyes to see that nothing can wash away our sin. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Would you forgive us? Would you wash us clean and make us whole? This is our prayer, Lord. The sick and the disabled, the nobodies, here we come. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Come on, church.